Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my 5-Minute Food Facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube hit the red subscribe button or on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. I will also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professional. Today I'm here with Ness Stonnell, founder of JobPair. This is a very topical podcast at the moment during coronavirus times because JobPair, amongst other things, provides know-how to successfully and sustainably work from home. Today Ness will give us her top tips on making working from home work for you. Hi Ness and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Thank you very much Amanda, I'm thrilled to be here, I really enjoy your podcast. So, um, yeah, thanks very much for having me. Thank you. So, Ness, I always like to understand something about the background of my guest and, you know, their motivations for doing what they do. I know that from 2006, when you graduated from university here in South Australia, you worked in a number of marketing roles in Adelaide and then Sydney, including quite demanding senior executive roles. So after about a decade of high-pressure work and being always on, you became unwell with severe fatigue and autoimmune disorders. So, Ness, how did you feel at that time? I think to summarise, it would be really exhausted. <laughs> um, uh, and also, I just I felt uh, uncomfortable with what was going on with my body, not only physically, but also mentally and emotionally. I'm an active, healthy person with a can-do attitude and a natural drive to achieve. So when I started feeling unwell, I thought if I focused on the physical treatment, my health professionals were advising me like, you know, eating a restrictive diet and taking supplements and medication that I'd get better. Um, then over the course of a few years, I was doing everything possible in my personal life to get better. And yet it was like one step forward and two steps back. And so that felt quite frustrating and depressing. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it did. Do you think that stress contributed to your health issue? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a few types of stress that um, contributed. The first one being uh, a culture, a workplace culture of always on mm -hmm. and expecting people to work long hours and respond to requests on their phone at any time. Thankfully, I think we're moving away from this um, and realising that you know, being switched on to technology all the time and to work isn't healthy and it's counterproductive. Yeah. There are still many workplaces that are yet to realise the value um, of, um, you know, or sorry, realising valuing output, not actually the hours of work, is healthier, it's more productive and it's more profitable. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's one form of stress. A second one is, uh, lack of support and resources. So one of the workplaces that I worked in during this time 
Um, you know, whilst I was there, uh, a thousand people were made redundant overnight. Um, they reduced budgets, they consolidated teams, and yet there hadn't been an adjustment in the expectation of the work to be delivered. Mm. Um, so to say that that was a stressful environment is an understatement. <laughs> I think also, you know, there's some great research out there showing how perfectionism is an unhelpful habit and it creates unnecessary stress on ourselves. Um, and I really, in my experience, this is very true. Um, during this whole experience, I discovered Brene Brown. Um, I don't know if you've heard of her, Amanda. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, look, I just love her. Um, and one of her earlier books that she wrote is The Gift of Imperfection. So for me, when I came across this and just hearing her talk about, um, you know, letting go of the things that get in the way of who we really are and how do we embrace our true selves um, really resonated with me and was something that I realised that I was putting too much pressure on myself to be all things to all people mm -hmm. and it was really exhausting and it just wasn't helpful. So, um, yeah, realising, you know, that I was actually a perfectionist and, and you know, wanted to change that and needed to change um, that. And then I think what goes hand in hand with perfectionism is anxiety, you know, and that's a real form of stress that, you know, we increasingly are seeing as um, a real problem in society. Um, and communities and, and families. So, and I had no idea um, that, uh, you know, anxiety was a constant in my life until um, actually speaking with a psychologist. So, and she was the one that brought it to my attention. Ness, if I can just jump in there, you said before that um, yeah. when you weren't feeling well, you were doing all sorts of physical things that your, your um, doctors suggested. Mm. So it sounds very much like uh, you needed to really focus on your mental health. It sounds also like it took a while for you to to realise that that was even an issue. Is that would you say that's a fair comment? Yeah, absolutely, really fair. I think um, you know my experience of you know there was some physical unwellness there to begin with, and then you know as I said before, just talking about feelings of that. You know when you start feeling frustrated and you know depressed about that you're trying all that you can physically mm. and it's not working I think that that really then starts to um, take its toll on your emotional and mental well-being and so um, yeah it was really quite a journey and I realized through this process that there was more to it and there was actually um, you know my mental state was something that I really needed to have a look at and focus on and and there were some things that needed to change and and I needed help with tools and strategies sure. for um, you know how to have a better mental state. Mm. So I'd like to talk a bit about some of the tools and strategies you used but I know that during yeah. this process you um I think in 2016, because of your health issues, you were sort of ultimately driven to resign. So that must have been very difficult for you, especially as, as a perfectionist um, and anxious person, to, to come to terms with. Yeah, it really was. Um, I think, you know, I'm, because I have historically been such a high achiever, I was really uncomfortable with it. And I vividly remember the feeling of, well, I'm a failure if I give up. Like, I just can't give up my work. And I actually remember a conversation with my doctor the day before re resigning and, and, you know, she said, look, you have to give up work. You actually can't continue on. Your, you know, your body is shutting down. Um, 
and and I and so I remember her just helping me reframe that thinking from well I'm a failure I actually have persevered so long it's really time to change things. Ness before you arrived at the point that you needed to resign to look after your health had you had any conversations with your workplace about your predicament? Six sorry six months leading up to um, resigning. I actually tried some different things in my work to, ch- to change the way I was working, to, to tr- actually try and be able to continue to work and regain my health. Um, so I took a few months of unpaid leave and that definitely helped. But then in going back to work, I then noticed my health declining again. Um, and so then I actually had a conversation with our HR business partner at the time about working part-time hours or different hours. Um, She wasn't so open to it and supportive, so that didn't eventuate. Um, But my colleagues were very aware and they were really supportive. And I think, you know, to talk about that feeling of when I resigned, one of the feelings really was guilt in having the conversation with my manager and my team. I felt so guilty leaving them in this place of, you know, I was finishing up that day and they had to take it all on. Like, I'm not the kind of person that, puts people in the lurch and and doesn't do my bit. So, um, yeah, I remember just that feeling of guilt um, about it. But they were just, I had such an incredible team and they were really good friends as well. And they were just so supportive and understanding of the situation and could see I was just so unwell and this was what was needed. There was no Mm. other way. That sounds as though it would have been really difficult for you. But let's move our conversation on to something more positive. So how did you actually recover? What were some of the things you did? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, look, whilst, you know, that that was a lot, I look back and I think there was just such great learnings and and Mm. the time I then took out, um, the six to 12 months to then go, okay, let's just focus on me and getting better because I'm a person that really likes to feel healthy and well. Um, You know, there was... um, you know, quite a few things actually that I did um, that contributed. First off, I just kept things simple and it really was about rest mm-hmm. and just getting more sleep. Um, you know, it's amazing how important sleep really yeah, is. It sure for is. Us. Yeah. Um, so there was that. Also, my doctor, you know, had prescribed a treatment plan um, for me. So I was, you know, really just, you know, focusing on, um, you know, the medication supplements. Um, a food plan that included some gut healing foods. So, you know, things like bone broth and whatnot I was having and an exercise plan. And funny enough, initially, um, the exercise plan was walking around the block, which I look back and think, I can't believe that that felt so, you know, like that felt like exercise in itself just yeah. around the block, whereas, you know, previously I'd run half marathons. But, yeah. you know, that's it's a, funny that's what a, your body does at, at different uh, times. A warning flag for you, isn't it? If um, something which is for you such a small thing becomes actually your exercise program, yeah, for sure. I know, absolutely. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so there was that, um, and then you know we touched on the mental health before, and I mentioned that you know started seeing a psychologist. Um, so she really helped me in you know one understanding that there was some anxiety there but also you know giving me some tools um, for dealing with and letting go of the the anxiety Um, and two of the most powerful tools that she gave me I'd say one is um, like reframing the way we think so really looking at 
well, um, you know, what is that thought or feeling that you've had? What are those facts behind it? And how do we reframe it into healthier yeah. thinking? Because I was in a position where I just kept thinking all the time. So it was really about just trying to stop and ease back on that. Yeah. Um, and then the second one was I had been doing some meditation, um, but she then introduced me, um, Helen Gibbons is her name actually, and it was her and her father that brought out um, Autogenics, which is a mindfulness training to mm -hmm. Australia. It's originally from um, Germany. Um, and so autogenic therapy is a relaxation technique that focuses on promoting feelings of calmness and relaxation in your body to reduce stress and anxiety. So autogenic itself actually means um, something to come from within. Yes. Mm. So in this relaxation technique, you use visual imagery um, and body awareness to reduce stress. And so you repeat words or suggestions, um, you know, like, um, you know, body is feeling peaceful and calm or, you know, my hands um, are feeling, you know, warm and heavy um, to uh, bring your mind into um, a state of relaxation and help actually relax muscle tension. Wow, that sounds great. And heal great. the body. Mm. It is. Um, I, I have actually found it to be the most powerful at getting into a really deep, of relaxation out of any of the um, you know mindfulness techniques mm -hmm. I've tried and I found it really helpful in um, healing my gut and my fatigue issues that I was having. Wow do you still use it today these days? Yeah I do yeah yeah it's practice so um, yeah very regular in my life. So then just finishing up on you know what else it was that you know the steps that I took the final part of Nessa's healing strategy was to reconnect with her creative side, which she felt she'd moved away from. And Ness was able to do that through art therapy. So Ness, what is art therapy? Um, it involves the use of um, creative techniques such as painting and drawing and, and collage to help people express themselves artistically instead of verbally. Um, and so then it helps you un like bring to the surface unconscious and conscious thoughts, feelings and beliefs. Um, so where, you know, sometimes we can't really get to how you're feeling about something mm. by talking it out, um, actually, you know, drawing or, you know, doing something creative can be really beneficial in that sense. Ness, it sounds like you did a lot of work um, physically and mentally to get yourself into a state of good health. So that's that's brilliant and it's very encouraging to know that, you know, if you take the right steps, you can regain your health. So well done. <laughs> so let's fast forward a few years. By now you're married and you've got a son and you've returned to live in Adelaide. And in 2018, you founded JobPair. So let's talk about JobPair. Can you tell us, Ness, what JobPair does? Yeah, so JobPair um, makes flexible work possible. We provide coaching, training, job share, matching, and other solutions to equip individuals and organisations for flexible work in all positions, in all sorts of positions and professions. So through our research, we've seen and heard many stories of people experiencing difficulty in negotiating and, negotiating and bringing to life flexible work arrangements. And many organisations have flexible work strategies or policies, mm -hmm. um, but are facing a 
bridging the gap between having those strategies and then applying them across yeah, the workplace. Sure. So, so you, yeah, so. you clearly help with that. So who are your clients then? What type of um, people or organisations? Well, you know, for me, a job pair was really born because, you know, after many years of coaching um, colleagues and friends and family through this and my own personal experiences, I realised that real solutions were really were needed for mm-hmm. real people. So there's two main client groups that we have, individuals and, and organisations. And so for individuals, it's people who want to work, um, you know, any flexible working arrangement, whether it's part-time, job share, um, or working flexible hours and who need help in, um, you know, either getting clear on what they want and how to confidently negotiate it um, and make it work or to find a compatible job share partner because just because you know someone in marketing, um, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that that's compatible for you. Sure. Um, so, you know, helping people find that partner for that um, or training and resources in how to work flexibly. Um, You know, particularly at the moment with, um, you know, lots of people working to moving to working from home for the first time ever because of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic and social distancing. I would like to... There's lots of questions. Mm, I'd like to dive Um, into that in a minute. But just before we do, when you're dealing with an individual as a client... Do you actually have any interaction with the company or do you coach the individual on how to negotiate for themselves or, or are you an intermediary? How does it work? Um, so in um, often it works that it's just with the individual and it's a case of them getting really clear on mm-hmm. what it is that they want and that confidence to go in for those conversations. Um, but we certainly have had some conversations with um, workplaces as well around, you know, helping them. And it might even be just more so an education piece for them, sure. really yeah. understanding the benefit of flexible work, um, you know, or how it can be done to then um, help facilitate those conversations with their employees yeah. sure. um, and, you know, bring that to life. So as you say, people or companies may have policies in place, but it's a it's one thing to have a policy and it's another thing to to actually implement the policy. No, so you know, for us the other um, main client group is organizations. Um usually they have flexible uh, work strategies or policies already in place, but sometimes that's not the case. And you know, it, it's about them um helping them with well, how do they bring those strategies um to life across sure. their work? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, training training for managers, um, you know, how do they get job sharing working and, you know, allow more people to actually work part-time in roles that have full-time responsibilities um, and such solutions. When we're talking about flexible work arrangements, one of the things at its core, I think, is the link between flexible work and well-being. So there has been some scientific literature in Scandinavia supporting flexibility as one of the most important workplace factors for mental well-being, um, and that relates to parents. But more broadly and recently, in New Zealand, a study um, undertaken on the impacts of the four-day working week, it found that employees were happier, more productive and less stressed and had better mental health when they were allowed that flexibility. So, so Ness, in, in your opinion, 
Why are flexible work arrangements correlated with greater well-being? Yeah, look, there's some great case studies out there, Amanda, and I think the evidence is growing as to, you know, the benefits of flexible work. Mm -hmm. And if we look at what flexible work is to begin with, you know, it's about balancing the needs of the individual with the needs of the business in order to create an effective workplace. So... What that really means is that flexible working arrangements allow individuals to better balance work and life. Mm. And so that has a range of benefits then for a person and also a family yeah. well-being. You know, I think firstly, um, flexible work hours, whether it be that a person's working part-time or compressed week or non-traditional hours. So for example, they start at, you know, 7am and finish at 3pm. It gives people the capacity to care for children or parents, look after their own health and fitness um, and manage household and personal admin matters. Uh, And the flow-on effect of that is that, you know, like that New Zealand study said you know people feel less stressed they're happier calmer and there's less of a mental load as well yep um the other interesting thing too about that study was that they are the the employees were found to be more productive and i imagine that's a bit of a roadblock for many companies i think oh if the if uh, my employees work less hours less will get done. But in fact, the opposite has been found, which is fascinating. Absolutely. And so this is where, you know, we really talk about um, and the education piece is changing the mindset from thinking about, um, you know, work as, you know, or productivity as the number of hours you work to the output actually as a result um, because, you know, if people can work less hours and they can get as much, maybe even more, because in the other hours they can get all this other stuff done, but then they don't have that on their mind. They're, you know, feeling fresher coming into work and whatnot. Um, and, you know, and they can, you know, both men and women, you know, want time with their families and, you know, particularly parents, you know, they want to spend time with their children. You know, men of this generation are different from their dads they want to spend time with their family and their kids and so you know flexible work really enables um that and has huge benefits then on um you know a person's mental and emotional well-being it it all makes sense doesn't it um it does you know and speaking of studies you know microsoft did a study where it found that um 30 percent of employees spend more time with family by working from home. And so I think, you know, when we look specifically to working from home and, you know, what comes with that is is that there's less, you don't either have a commute or maybe you're less, you're working less days a week that you don't have a commute. People are saving that time and they're yeah. reducing that stress that comes travel into the office. So, you know, again, there's benefits that, you know, people can spend that time however they want, whether is that they want to, you know, be spending it with their families or doing something for themselves um, or whatnot, that then once they get into work, they're just, they're more focused on their work to just get in there and do it. I think um, I'd love to chat in a minute about some of the tips for successfully working from home. But before we do that, I just wanted to have a bit of a a spotlight on women. So for many women, and I include myself in this, the unfortunate truth is that starting a family can be the end, in quotes, of their chosen career. 
And that's not to say that women can't continue to work or change their careers. And in fact, most of the women I've interviewed, including you, Ness, have um, changed their careers in some way. And women are often driven to do this because um, workplaces have traditionally been inflexible. It ties in well with this unusual time we're in at the moment of coronavirus. So working from home has become necessary for so many of us. And I do expect and, and hope that this could open up some great possibilities for women, I mean, and men, because if people in leadership roles, and, and let's face it, the majority of them are men, that formally dismissed working from home as less efficient or worse kind of skiving off, if those people are now forced to work from home, their eyes might be opened to the enormous potential of it and how flexible working arrangements can actually be successful. So it's, it's sort of opening up their minds, which could be great. So do you see a silver lining in this dramatic change in the way many of us are working at the moment because of the coronavirus? Yes, I think this is changing the way we work forever. Yeah. Um, Seeing businesses, individuals and families are being forced to adapt, innovate and rethink the way they work. And so behaviours, you know, habits and behaviours are being changed. And I think that what we'll find is they will stay. Um, it's opening up people's minds, as you said, to the possibilities, but also the benefits and the opportunities of flexible working. And this is a really good thing. Um, you yeah. know, there's so many benefits flexible work and now we're seeing entire workforces getting to experience some form of flexible work and the benefits of it to not only themselves but to their families and to their organisations. Um, so I think what we'll see um, of this is that there's greater diversity within workforces. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so, and with that, you know, flexible working um, helps families and communities to increase the capacity of people participating in the workforce yep. and sharing caring responsibilities, which is, you know, a great thing. Um, and also, um, you know, with flexible working arrangements usually comes flexible thinking. So we'll see yeah, people good being point. agile in the way we work. The way I see this is it opens up enormous potential for women, I think, to yeah. to yeah. remain in the career that they they trained for because if they can work around having um, responsibilities at home and maintaining their job, um, it could be really positive. Um, definitely. Look, I think there's four primary benefits for women um, from this, Amanda. Firstly, uh, whilst flexible work has largely been reserved for women with children, it's mm. still been a struggle and stressful for many women to actually negotiate and work flexible arrangements. And so Australia does have workplace laws that make provision for flexible work, mainly giving employees who are carers the right to request it. Mm. Um, but this hasn't to access to and acceptance of flexible work. Yeah. Look, if that's not the culture within your company, the laws might be there, you you might request it, but it just might not really, it might, they might make it really difficult for it to, to actually occur. That's right. And, you know, and often that culture will come from 
people's experiences and views. And, you know, for where um, workplaces haven't really embraced flexible working or given it a go, or maybe had a negative experience, it's often a case of then that it's seen that it can't work because it hasn't, you know, people haven't had an experience to it. Whereas mm. because now we're getting lots of people actually accessing it and proving out that to themselves and also to their businesses that it can work and the benefits of it, I think it's going to make it easier for women to access, to negotiate, to implement and also if they want to change their current working, you know, flexible working arrangements to something else, I think that, you know, all that's going to happen as a result um, of this. Um, the second uh, benefit I think is, and you touched on this before, you know, around the judgment that can come around flexible work. Yeah. Um, you know, pre-coronavirus, um, people who were working flexibly, you know, I've heard so many stories of people say, you know, I get called a part-timer or people at work think that I'm less productive or I'm not committed to my job. Um, and sadly, you know, hearing that choice of, oh, well, I have to choose between my career and and, and flexibility like I can't have them both which is just so crazy yeah and I think that the, what it's found what we've found is is that often to those people who are working flexibly and you know the research out there is to show that people that work flexibly are often more productive than those that don't so it's belittling belittling for those people but I think what we're going to see is, is that labeling changes already we're starting to see people talk about flexible workers smart working and agile working and they are far more positive labels yeah. than what historically has been there good point good point yeah um, so i think there's that um and then you know talking about men you know research shows that flexible work really is important to them 60 of, of men would do it you know and so until recent weeks many men haven't had access to it or they have thought that they haven't had access to it and by them having new experiences in the way they work and, you know, seeing that it can work, mm. um, you know, I think that this has real benefits for both men and for women. I think, you know, by working from home, they're seeing also what's often, um, you know, been invisible day-to-day, -day, you know, work around the housework, yeah, childcare, exactly. and um, So, you know, what's happening is that men are taking a greater share in the, the caring responsibilities, but also some of that um, work around the house. And I think what that then has as a benefit for women is um, not only, you know, help in a, you know, personal home perspective, but for some women, they're actually going to have an increased capacity to participate in the workforce, um, which is a really positive thing. Um, and then finally, which kind of sums up all this, um, and uh, again, you touched on, is the greater diversity and inclusion within businesses that flexible work brings and that particularly coronavirus, you know, is, is going to bring. So um, because leaders at the top are accessing it and experiencing it and they're going to be more open-minded to it, I think that we're going to then see that um, leadership roles, you know, well, anyone in a business, but all the way up to leadership, it will be seen flexible work can happen. So that will mean that more women will have access to um, leadership positions and also um, I think it will create a way of working that is more inclusive of everyone regardless of your location or circumstance yeah and so as an example you know we're 
previously, you know, you might have had a video conference for a team meeting because someone was working from home that day. You know, often it's the case that, you know, that person, because there's one person on the video call, everyone in the actual physical room will be chatting and whatnot and might forget about the person on video or, Mm -hmm. you know, not actually ask specific questions to them and they might, or the person might feel like it's hard to speak up um, when they're not in the room. But I think because people are now experiencing virtual workplaces, what we're going to see is a better integration between the virtual and the physical that will actually be creating more inclusive, um, yeah, work environments. Yeah, oh, that was, so it does sound like there are some silver linings coming out of um, this uh, tragic situation of coronavirus where we are actually forced to be more flexible. So it's good to have a silver right. lining in, in difficult situations. Yeah, that's right. And I think, yeah, that's right. You know, look, there's lots of challenges for people at the moment and people really are having to constantly um, adapt um, and just you know deal with change yes. um, which you know that can be challenging but so, i think i think you know to actually look at the opportunities there's some really great opportunities out of this too for people around their work and particularly for women yes so if we do look at some of the challenges for many people this might be their first experience ever of working from home and it can actually be be a bit daunting because Um, There are lots of things that need to be in place, I think, for working from home to be seamless and successful. Um, For example, having the right IT arrangements. Ness, can you tell us some of the the ways people can successfully work from home? What are the structures and things they need to put into place? Yeah, sure. Um, Look, Amanda, I think firstly, in terms of, um, you know, that physical space that they have, having the right tools is really important. And look, if you can have a ergonomic setup with a desk and a chair and all of that, that's brilliant. But for some people, that's not possible. Mm. Um, And what I would say, though, is a good chair is important because, you know, we're we're looking at, you know, probably months ahead of working from home. So, um, you know, being able to um, have uh, have a chair that's really comfortable and and supports your back um, and body is important. Um, And setting up a clear workspace Uh, is really important to being able to focus on your work and and put you in that mode so if it means that you have you can set up an actual office and and have a room dedicated to work great that's excellent Um, if you can't and you're working at the dining room table that's absolutely fine but my suggestion would be that you know when you start your day just you know clear it make sure you've got that clear workspace dedicated to you for that period of time that Mm -hmm. you're going to down and work um you know just helps you be more focused and put you in that work zone um, as well as being productive um dressing for success i think is really important and it's been funny you know hearing or it's just been great hearing people's different you know experiences and, and what they're doing so for some people you know putting on um clothes that put them in the mood whether it's you know we're wearing you know um office attire or you know maybe it's active wear really gets them you know moving and and in the zone for work but you know one person shared with me how you know she puts on perfume and she's like no one smells me I'm not in the (laughs) just really gets me in the zone and I was like well do it why not you know same goes for you know makeup is it a you know pair of shoes that puts you in the mood to work whatever it is um 
I think do it, you know. Um, it just, yeah, helps you get, get in that work. So, and, in other words, get out of your pyjamas. Yeah, that's right. You know, look, <laughs> some people have told me that they work well in their pyjamas. <laughs> that works for you, fantastic. But I think for most people, they don't. And particularly after a few days, it gets a bit old. Um, you, <laughs> you start to not really feel that um, productive and, and feel like working. Um, and, you know, and so to that point then around pyjamas, I think because we're, we're doing everything at home at the moment, you know, being able to switch between work and home modes is important. So, you yeah. know, and that's why, you know, dressing, having that workspace, um, you know, having some routine, you know, don't just because you're now working from home, don't think that, you know, leave, you know, sleep in an extra hour and, and don't have your morning room team. That's really important to getting you going for the day. So it might be a different routine to what you do to going in the office, but, mm. you know, start your day feeling good and getting you in that work zone. So, um, Ness, and I'd also t- do you have a routine? Do you do something before you start your work day? Uh, yeah, so so for me, I have a few things. So I actually do have a dedicated office um, at home. So I find that for me, having a door that can be I walk into work and then I walk out of at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I find that important for switching on and off. Um I do, yeah, dress a certain way. I find, funny enough, I find high heels really gets me in a work zone. <laughs> so I, wear white, I wear high heels around the house, which gets a few laughs from people when they see me. Um, and I'd just say, you know, taking a lunch break is really important and moving, just moving away from the desk. Yeah. Um, the, you know, just take that recharge and have some space and some... Um, finally as well getting some fresh air so whether it's at lunch or the beginning of the day or uh, for me what works well is at the end of the day actually just stepping outside and whether it's going for a walk or just sitting in the backyard for 15 minutes I find a really good way of just winding down from Mm -hmm. my day and helping me then move into okay we're going into home mode now so on that topic of sort of uh, moving between uh, work and home modes, mm-hmm. I know that actually can be quite difficult. I mean, I find it difficult. So, for example, you feel compelled to check emails at all hours of the night and then sometimes you do things like put in loads of laundry during the day when you should be at your desk. So how do you have some tips on managing distractions? Yeah, look, I think... Um, you know, for a lot of people, when they first start working from home, there is an adjustment to it. And I think that what you can do is think really optimistically about what you can achieve, both in your work and also the household chores and whatnot, because you're at home all the time. But as you say, it can actually be quite a danger and a distraction. Mm. So um, I think as a starting point, you know, just start tidying up before you start your work day, particularly if you you're going to be working from the dining room table, you know, an untidy space can be a really big distraction. Yeah. So just spending five, 10 minutes cleaning up, you know, the breakfast dishes, a bit of paperwork, whatever it is around and setting yourself up can actually be the difference between, you know, not being able to get in the work zone to actually being really focused and just being able to switch on. 
Um, I think working in blocks of time and looking at, you know, how you schedule your time in the day between work and everything else is really important. And, you know, there's research out there to say that 50-minute blocks of time are, are a good, you know, amount to, you know, be focused on your work. But, look, it depends. It, it's different for everyone, and particularly for parents at the moment who might have young children at home that they're caring for. That might not be realistic. Yeah. Or, like, 30 and then they take a break. So I think, you know, thinking about how it might be 50 minutes of work and then it's 10 minutes of, you know, you can put out that load of washing or, you know, spend time with children, getting them reset into a new different activity or whatever it might be, might be I think is really important. Um, um, what about Ness dealing with um, loneliness? Because previously many people have been in, a, in an office, for example, where they might have a chat with a um, colleague at, at the kettle while they're getting a cup of tea or go and have lunch together in their lunch break and that kind of thing. We're not doing that at the moment. So do you have any tips on that? Yeah. I mean, look, this is huge because it's not only in the workplace, but it's also like we're socially distancing ourselves from yeah. friends and family too. And this was going to be something that I was the next going to say is the importance of communication and staying connected. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, in staying connected, one, you know, communicating to your households and teams about your schedules, um, yep. you know, helps with, um, you know, reducing those distractions and, and interactions during work time. But then, you know, spent actually making the time to um, connect with people. Yeah. So, um, you know, f- from a work perspective, I think that um, instead of having a phone call, have a video conference and see that person, you know, person's face and, you know, their expressions and all of that, that, that is really helpful, um, you know, not only the connection, but just continuing to build and, and manage those relationships. That's also um, a motivation for getting out of your pyjamas. <laughs> well, it is. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. We've all probably been caught with that where we thought it was going to be a phone call and all of a sudden that's a video conference. <laughs> oh, I better whip on a bit of mascara. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, and I think... Too, you know, because we're not having the, you know, chats at the in the kitchen or whatnot, then, you know, in your lunch break or, you know, set aside five, ten minutes, you know, before you start your day or lunch or whatever it is to give a colleague a call or chat to them on instant messenger or however it is that you want to connect to them, but still actually having some um, conversations where it's not just work related and it's checking in how are you you know how's things is all really helpful in um, not only the um, the loneliness factor but also in maintaining healthy working relationships um, yeah, and being able to manage these virtual work environments you did touch on your personal routine but can you give people some tips on how to actually switch off because when your work laptop is accessible all the time, it is very tempting just to keep checking and checking. And I think, as you said, it's, it's better for your mental health if you can draw that line. So what are some of your tips on that? Yeah, so I think actually working out what hours you're going to work is important and then sticking to that time because it's so easy to let time go. So if you say that you're going to finish, whether it's five, six o'clock, do it and close down your laptop. Don't put it in sleep mode. 
in my experience, if I put it in sleep mode, there's more chance I'm going to log back on or have a look at it later. Yeah. So I think that's really, um, yeah, really important. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take up that tip because I I do just put mine into sleep mode. Ness, we were talking about your routine and how you how you personally switch off. You go outside at the end of your workday and either go for a walk or sit in the garden. Um, another tip you just gave us was to shut down your laptop, not just put it in sleep mode. Are there any other ways you think um, people can make sure they switch out of their work mode into home mode? Yeah, I think, you know, just simple things like getting changed into different yeah. clothes um, can be quite helpful, um, you know, particularly if that's something that you do if you go into your physical office, then, you know, stick with it, um, working from home. And you might find it beneficial at home, you know, switching, switching between those modes. And I do think that physical space, um, you know, is really important being able to move from um, I'm working in my workspace to I'm now in my home space. Mm. And so, you know, whether it's walking out a door of a room, but if you are working and living in one space, you're in a small apartment or something like that, then, you know, take a step outside or whatever to just help set yourself and feel like you're moving into another mode so creating a, a physical break whether it is um closing a door or going outside or onto your balcony or whatever it is but just physically getting away from where you've been working that's right and and you know and it can include physical exercise too you know maybe yeah. it's going for a run or a walk or using your you know rower at home um, that helps you then actually unwind from work um, and move into then um, personal time. Well, excellent. So I think it's probably time to, to wrap this up. Um, thank you for all your really helpful tips. Um, very topical at the moment, um, given that we've all had to change the way we work because of the coronavirus pandemic. But before we leave, I'd like to ask you a question that I ask all my guests. So if you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be, Ness? Oh, this is a tricky one, Amanda. I know, because there's probably lots <laughs> um, of things you could say. But I say. think that my top two, you know, firstly, get enough sleep. So everyone is different in how much sleep they need. Um, but research shows that it's usually between seven to nine hours for most people. Um, and Ariana Huffington um, has this great quote. She says that do, you'll do better with a good night's sleep. And I really believe that's yeah, true. For I me, do too. That, yeah. That. So um, I know that I need eight hours sleep. Um, and I use the bedtime feature on my iPhone and I love it. I find it really helpful at knowing when I'm going to bed, when I'm waking up and having that alarm automatically set and having my phone shut down my apps so that I'm not disturbed and interrupted um, yeah. in my sleep hours. Secondly, I think value your health like you do your money. So thinking about your well-being like you do your financial bank account. Um, you know, we need to make deposits as well as withdrawals or we'll go bankrupt, which, you know, in wellbeing terms is burning out. Yeah. So I think, you know, finding what nourishes your health and gives you energy in 
I think is really important. And then making the time for that, just, you know, it's like, because, you know, you're just so important and it's really important to feel well and keep our well-being and, and thrive and work in life. So I think, you know, if you do that and think about your energy in and out, it makes for, um, you know, living and working a, a sustainable life. Yeah. And you're speaking obviously from personal experience. So that's, that's a great tip. I've never heard that, that analogy, value your health like your money. Ness, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I will put links to your website um, and anything else we've discussed in the show notes. But can you let people know where they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Amanda, thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to chat to you. And yeah, I'm really passionate about, um, you know, flexible work and helping people thrive in work and life. So it's lovely to speak to someone who really, um, you know, values wellbeing and all those things too. Um, so people can find, yeah, also on our website, jobpair.com.au. Um, also, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Ness Donald. Um, and yeah, connect that way. So, Great. and I, yeah, love any question, whether it's questions, um, you know, actual help um, with coaching or training or, or whatnot, please get in touch. I'm more than happy to help anyone in this space. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ness. Thank you, Amanda. And that was Ness Stonnell, founder of JobPair. I hope you found something of value in our discussion today about flexible work and working from home. I'd also like to quickly apologise because the sound quality wasn't optimal. We recorded over Zoom and I'm having a few issues with my internet at the moment. In any case, I am working on it. So thank you for tuning in today. You can subscribe to my podcast, Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, on YouTube. Just hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website and please do feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed and I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution, you can do so via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon. You can find links to all of those on the contribute page on my website and this will help ensure that we continue to provide you with excellent content. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help people find the podcast. So thank you for listening today. Eat well, move well, think well. <music>